Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for scratch for you, absolutely free of charge. This season, we're building for the Fallout role-playing game, so grab your gear and get ready to run what we're building for you this week. Of course, we can't build new stuff without recapping what we just built last week. Last week, we took the group back to Barnes Hospital so they could finish their to-do list by checking out what Jessup Chemicals has going on there and maybe getting their eyes on one Jackson Denman in the meanwhile. We noted that the hospital security was way increased after the previous break-in, so the group decided to scurry across a rope they'd secured on the top of the building, then make their way down through a hole they'd made by cutting through an old metal security box. Once on the fourth floor, they encountered Jessup scientists who've been working on a formula to ensure that transplants and limb replacement take without flaws, though they noted that the limb part of that equation hasn't worked yet. The group managed to get a lot of information, then they headed out the way they came in. Now, there's another way this could have gone, and that's with the group pulling a full frontal assault on the hospital and basically shooting their way in. If they did that, they only managed to get a few morsels of information out of the computers as the system was deleting all the files. That's where we wrapped our session last time, so we'll pick up with the group finding somewhere to check out all of the information they have and working up their next moves. One quick thing here. It's been pointed out to me that if the group had the opportunity to download information, it might have just been quicker to snag the entire computer and head off with it. And since the computers look a heck of a lot like the ones in the video game... I say why not. Okay, so we're going to hit the largest information dump first. Then I'll point out what morsels the group that did the full-on assault got. Last, we'll get into the information Victor was able to give the group. I mentioned last week that the information the group was able to glance out while in the Jessup Chemicals offices were the test and research notes the scientists' experimenters had been putting in since the beginning of the project. I could sit here and come up with a list of notes lasting three hours to read, but let's just hit the highlights, especially since the highlights are what will interest the group anyway. The first thing that draws their attention is that the program was actually started 25 years ago by Mackenzie Denman. There's not a reason given for the program, but the fact that Mackenzie was the first subject tested on might have had something to do with it. What she had done to her has been redacted, but the notes show that the procedure was a partial success. According to what the group can make out, one of her kidneys looks like might have been successfully replaced, but there's some other stuff in there that's been redacted, and it's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of entries going on over the various chemical formulations they've been trying over the years. The majority of them make absolutely zero sense to them, but a couple of them are downright weird. Combinations involving jet, stim packs, and several other drugs available on the streets. Obviously, those went nowhere, but the fact that they were even attempted will draw the group's attention. Another thing that will draw their attention is that Jessup Chemicals didn't get involved in the program until seven years ago. Since then, the program has seen improvements by leaps and bounds, and the group can safely assume it's because they've got an actual chemical company to work out formulas and manufacture serums. The group hits on another Denman in the record, but it doesn't appear to be a test subject. The name Constance Denman is referenced about a half a dozen times over the past three years in some of the test notes, 
And what the group finds even more curious is that those mentions come in entries directly connected to the attachment of limbs. Now, obviously, they could put pieces together and make their own assumption, but I digress. There's a lot of vague references to locations all over the city, but there's not enough to nail down exact locations. In fact, several of the references no longer exist in any way, shape, or form, so it can be assumed the information referenced is old and probably no longer relevant. The JAJE file is heavily encrypted. If a character wants to try it, it's an intelligence plus science difficulty 5, but there's a caveat to this. If they fail, the information is lost. The reason for that is because there's a fail-safe program built into the file that's a de facto anti-theft device. So if somebody tries to hack it, it'll delete itself. If the group thinks to run some sort of check on the file before they try to open it, Intelligence plus Science Difficulty 3 will give them that note. They can, of course, try it. By now, they should have some action points available to buy more dice, or they can always use luck points. And if they blew their luck points at the hospital, we should allow them to reset now because we sort of owe it to them to toss them a bone. The other option would be to bring in an expert. But unless one of the group just happens to know someone who fits that bill, they're going to need to hit up one of their contacts. And for the record, Victor's the one who would have the best shot of having somebody. He does, but she doesn't come cheap. Victor will offer to cover the fee, but the group will owe him a job in the future. The expert is a Latina woman in her early 20s, and you can give her whatever name and appearance you'd like. Using her means there's no need for a role. She's got the gear and the brains to ensure success, hence the reason her services cost as much as they do. It takes her about an hour to get everything decoded, and she assures the group she didn't read any of it, noting that it's considered bad business to do that sort of thing. So, when the group finally gets a chance to read the file, they're going to be somewhat disappointed. There aren't any specific locations mentioned in it either, nor are there any other mentions of projects being worked on. The JAJE file lays out what this project is all about. Apparently, the two Denmans, the JA and JE of the file, are brother and sister. And they've got a younger sister, Constance, who was attacked by ghouls when they were all kids. She lost an arm and both legs, but managed to survive. The Denman's parents started the project to find a way to give Constance her life back. Mackenzie is the mother in this relationship, and she volunteered to be the first test subject as she had a kidney that failed due to chem use when she was younger. The thought was that if the scientists could get the organ transplants to work properly, building on that would be a breeze. And they thought wrong. While Mackenzie lived another 20 years after the transplant, they've been unable to crack the code to get limb transplant to work, and the family is running out of time. Apparently, Constance is beginning to have complications from various issues with the missing limbs, and she's having some organs failing due to all of the drugs needed to stave off infection, so her siblings need this to work. It's apparent to the group that the JAJE file is some sort of personal record from the Denmans, though it's not a complete read, which means that somewhere out there, there's probably a full version of their thoughts and reasons for the project. And that's pretty much it. I'm going to leave open the possibility that some of the information we're not mentioning here could come up later, since it could be a thing where something they ran into in the field causes them to remember some obscure thing they saw in the file. But for now, this is what they've got. 
So going back to our folks at the hospital thing who only managed to get a scrap or two of information, what did they get? Well, they got nothing about the JAJE file, so they'll be in the dark about that for a little while longer. They got the section of information covering the various chemical formulations the scientists have been using, and that's all they got there. So they are really in the dark about things. I can tell you straight up that this is going to frustrate your group to no end, but that was sort of the point here. The group was expecting to completely tie up a couple of loose ends here, but this is where you find out, and they probably start to suspect, that the Denmans are pretty high up on our list of big, bad, evil dudes this go-around. So while they've been mentioned and some of their handiwork has been checked out, they're going to go to ground for a little bit. But they're going to be back at some point. I can promise you that. There's one other file the group needs to look into, and let's get that in our information dump so that when we start building, we can focus solely on that. The group should have an information file Victor gave them from his sister, which he'd agreed to look up once the group struck out on the dome. Of course, if the group didn't go to Victor immediately, they won't have it yet, but not to worry. The next time they visit him after the dome, the offer will be made and he'll have the information for them within a day. So we're just going to keep moving on regardless. There's not a lot of information in this file, but what there is is definitely actionable. According to Amber's sources, Barnabas O'Reilly put together a team to hit the dome, apparently to do the same thing the group was going to do. However, his team came from a place called iRobotics. While she wasn't able to find any information on them, she was able to find the address, and it's located in the old Italian neighborhood known as The Hill. The address is the corner of Southwest and Watson, and from what her sources tell her, it used to be an Italian restaurant. That's what they've got. What they need to do now is to decide what they want to do next. Now, as I see it, they've got three choices. Continue to bang their heads against the wall trying to find information on the Denmans. Follow the lead given to them by Amber. Or pay off their debt to Victor if they have one. Now, look, the first one's out. The group can spread some caps around to trusted sources to have them be on the lookout for information. But they're going to only use sources that they can trust, and it's going to need to be folks that don't already have more caps than they do. Otherwise, this is going to be a dead end for a moment. And even if they do give them caps, they're not getting information for a while. So just tell them to chill. I'll also be honest. At this point, Victor does not have a job he feels would be appropriate enough for the group to work off in the amount of caps he had to pay. So he's going to ask that they be patient, and he'll let him know when he's got something. He'll also note that at the moment, he really doesn't have any caps paying jobs either. So that leaves the lead following option. And I'm sure the group will once again think we're railroading them into going where they want them to go. And that's okay. From time to time, we need to do that. Otherwise, we'd have to have a hundred different ideas at least partially built out so we can account for every single possibility. That's not reasonable to do, so we put the games on rails for a moment with the idea being that more options will be coming later. And in this case, later means pretty much after they do this job. Trust me. So, let's take the group on a trip to the historic Hill District of St. Louis, which of course means it's time for another one of my history lessons, but I promise I'll make it quick. The hill got its name because, as you might guess, pretty much all of the neighborhood sits on a hill in the southwest portion of the city. It was founded by Italian immigrants and sits a short distance from Dogtown, which was historically the Irish borough. 
In our time, some of the best Italian dining in the city can be found there. And in our game, it still is to a point. The hill wasn't hit that bad when the bombs dropped, and a majority of the homes and businesses managed to stay standing. Granted, a lot of doors and windows got blown out, and there was a lot of cleanup needed to make them usable again, but a very few buildings needed to be demolished. So, much as it is in our reality, the hill is a hub of activity in this part of the city. The walk from Diamond Pass to the hill is going to take about a half an hour, and some of that is because they've got to cross Interstate 64, which is called Highway 40 by St. Louisans. Don't ask. Once they get there, they'll see something most of them have never seen, a rather vibrant, thriving community who've managed to bring color and life in the middle of the wasteland. And I'm serious about this. There are Protectron robots wandering the street acting as law enforcement, other Protectrons who are in construction mode, working to keep buildings maintained and the streets and sidewalks clean. Of course, since there aren't any usable cars anymore, the streets have a number of vendor stalls or stands or whatever on them. There are a number of restaurants here, and while the primary type is Italian, pretty much any ethnicity of food you could want is represented here in some way, shape, or fashion. And there are plenty of shops for the characters to check out, if they're so inclined. We'll kick the available items to Rarity 3 and 4, though the prices will be higher. Go 75% above book value and allow for negotiations as need be. Also, go 40% below book value for trades. These folks know what they have, and they're not settling. In fact, somebody will undoubtedly say something along the lines of, you want cheap? Head into the heart of downtown. I'll leave naming the shops and fleshing them out to you, because this is another opportunity you have to put your spin on the world. I'll probably share my take on it when my group gets to this point down the line. I'd also note that there are rooms for rent here if they're interested, but by this point, the group probably enjoys having the freedom to come and go as they please. Okay, so they're here on business, so let's stop messing around and get to the business. As promised, iRobotics is located in what was once an Italian restaurant, though the outside has been redecorated a bit, with the red, white, and green colors of the Italian flag painted in a couple of different shades of white and gray. Looks like somebody was trying to tone down the presence of this business. Of course, since it sits on the corner with nothing on the east or south sides of it, you can't help but see it. And the group can't help but see the two individuals standing out in front of the building. They are dressed in the stereotypical outfit of a mafioso. Three-piece suit, fedora, shine shoes, the whole bit. And while they don't have guns out openly, the way they hold their arms is a clear indication that they've got them if they need them. So long as the group plays nice, they're going to have no issues getting in, as the only thing the doormen are looking for is somebody coming in with weapons openly displayed. So long as weapons are holstered or slung along the back, they'll let them in without question. If they do have to stop them, the only thing they're really going to be asked to do is holster their weapons before entering. They enter to a reception area, which is about 30 by 30, walled in so that you have to stop and speak with the receptionist. Her desk, which is basically a 30-foot section of short wall directly across from the entrance, is easy to spot, while the doors to the left and right, only a few feet from the edges of the desk, are closed. There are also a number of chairs lining the walls back towards the entrance. At this moment, there's nobody in here, and the receptionist is available to greet them. 
She stands as they approach, and she's the epitome of 1940s, 1950s style. Her brunette-colored hair is permed up and curly. She's wearing a gray dress with a conservative cut and just enough makeup to highlight her deep green eyes. In fact, somebody in the group will probably think they seem a little too green, but they'll probably just brush it off. I'll get to why that means something momentarily. She introduces herself as Dorothy and welcomes them to iRobotics. She asks what their business is. Now, this is the $64,000 question. What's the excuse the group's going to give? Now, as I see it, there are three possible options, though your group will probably think of something I'm missing. I mean, heck, my group's going to probably come up with a couple of things I didn't come up with. Oh, and if your group happens to have a synth on hand, keep that fact handy. If the group just decides to be up front and mention something about the dome job, she's going to play dumb. The group knows she's playing dumb, but they're not going to be able to shake her off of that. And if they keep pushing, she will let them know once that they need to leave. If she has to say it twice, she raises her voice a bit and says, enough. When she does that, the doors on either side open and two more individuals than the number of group members walk out. They're dressed just like the two on the door, only they have their laser pistols out and are ready to fight. For the record, these are synth striders and their stats are on page 375. And yes, I know there's a lot of them here. The idea is to show strength, not fight. And so long as the group walks out, that's how it stays. If they decide to stay and fight, that's going to be a tough one because these bad boys have physical damage resistance to everything. So damaging them heavily, it's going to be tough. That being said, I really doubt this option comes into play because let's face it, your group is smarter than this. Option two is to claim they're friends of Mr. O'Reilly. That's going to take a charisma plus speech difficulty four check. The thought here is that they'd want to speak to someone since they were referred here by him. If they succeed, Dorothy will ask them to take a seat while she calls Mr. Aston to let him know they're here. We'll continue this in a moment. If they fail the check, go back to option one. Plays out the same way. Option three is probably the safest. If they state their associates of victors, while Dorothy doesn't appear to be overly happy about it, she does ask them to take a seat while she calls Mr. Aston. Now, before we continue, this is where having a synth in the group pays off a bit. We'll assume your synth is third generation, so they'll readily recognize that everyone in this office is a synth strider. Synth striders are second generation models and there are imperfections just obvious enough to either another synth or someone who spent a lot of time around synths to know what they're dealing with. If these were third generation, it would be almost impossible to tell that difference. And the difference that he hit on is that deep color of the eyes. Mr. Aston comes to the right door a couple of minutes after Dorothy calls him and he asks the group to follow him back to the conference room. He states he's using that room instead of his office due to the number of people that are going to be in it. Now, the conference room has glass for the wall facing the office, so everything that's done in here will be seen by the various individuals working at their desks in the office, so the group would be wise to keep their moves to a minimum. There are more than enough chairs in here for everyone, and Mr. Aston asks if they'd like a refreshment. If they do, he summons Dorothy and asks her to bring Nuka-Colas for everyone. Oh, and I'm leaving the description of Mr. Aston to you. I see him as a short, dumpy guy with a really bad comb over, but if you've got your own idea, run with it. Now, how the conversation with him goes 
depends on who they said they were associates with. We'll start with Victor. Aston makes it clear that iRobotics interactions with Victor have not been the most pleasant in the past, and he's curious as to why Victor would send them his way. This is going to be opposed charisma and speech checks, but fortunately for the group, you're only rolling against his six for mind, so getting enough successes to outdo him shouldn't be very difficult. If they succeed, he'll buy whatever story they tell him, but if they fail, it's obvious he doesn't believe them, and they're going to need to come up with something else. If at any point they mention the dome job in this conversation, Aston shuts it down, says he doesn't know anything about it, and asks them to leave. It'll be the same as it was with Dorothy's conversation, though the synths will approach the conference room and wait for the group to exit. If they don't, they have no qualms about blowing out the glass to shoot them. Anything else will get him to open up about the business, so we'll hold here because it comes up in the next conversation as well. So let's do the O'Reilly conversation. Aston's pleased that Mr. O'Reilly thought enough of his business to send more business his way. He won't get into specifics about the job itself, but notes that his synths, and he'll straight up refer to them as synths, do exactly what you instruct them to do, and they won't deviate from the mission. He's curious as to the nature of the group's visit, and this is where it gets interesting. If the group wants specifics about the job, this is going to be an opposed charisma plus speech, same as before. If they succeed, he'll be willing to get into a few details, but not too many. He'll offer, and it'll seem almost like by accident, that the package was delivered to an address about six blocks south of their current location, though he has no idea who grabbed it. The other thing he will say is that he was saddened to lose one of his men, though O'Reilly offered up extra for our loss, which, as you know, is just how he is. If the roll fails, see what happens with the other failed rolls. But we're not going to worry about that, are we? Your group will succeed. They'll have a pleasant conversation with Mr. Aston, and they'll head out to check out the address provided. Again, you're going to walk down the hill. They walked up to get to where they were, and it's a pleasant walk, and they're greeted warmly by pretty much everybody they see, so long as they're polite or at least not complete jackasses. The address in question is a small two-story house on the left side of the street. There's nothing about the house that makes it stick out in any way. It's the same shade of gray as pretty much every other house in this section, and it looks neat and well-maintained. They can head up to the front door and knock, but they don't get a response. If they knock again, they'll hear a deep voice respond. Who's there? We're not expecting anybody. The wording should be a giveaway, along with the deep, gravelly nature of the voice. Whatever is behind that door is some sort of super mutant, which kind of goes with O'Reilly's M.O. It doesn't matter what they say, so we're not going to bother with roles here. The dude behind the door is not opening it, so the group needs to decide what they're going to do next. I think I know what my group's going to do, so let's write that up. They can either kick the front door in or head around to the back and try that door. Either way, they're going to be dealing with four super mutant brutes who are highly agitated. Their stats are on page 368, and this fight will probably be on two floors, since two of them will try to head up the stairs to split the party. Run it till it's done, then the group can scavenge from the bodies and try to check for what they came for. One thing to consider, with all that noise, there's probably going to be Protectrons coming soon, so they need to work quick. Intelligence plus science difficulty four to spot the data drive hidden amongst the trash on the kitchen counter. The smart move would be to grab it and head out the back door, then either head south and cut back north after a few blocks, 
or hoof it all the way up the hill behind the other houses, then cut east for a bit before going wherever they're going. If they're gutsy enough to walk out the front door, they'll have to deal with enough Protectrons to equal three more than the number of party members, and those stats are on page 363. One other thing to note on that is if they get into a fight in the street, they will be persona non grata moving forward on the hill. Sorry. We can fairly safely assume at this point that they're headed either to their own safe house or to Diamond Pass and Victor to get their data downloaded. So get them there and then we'll stop the build here for this week. Next week, we figure out just what they found. Then we get the group back on the adventuring trail. In the meanwhile, check out our other fine podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we take a closer look at the games Nightbane and Everway, and I found both of those to be rather intriguing when I was researching them, so I hope you do as well. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgingandproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out Fallout or any of the other fine gaming products produced by Modifius Entertainment, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr is Bad GM Productions. Our email is badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we download some data and we get the group back on the adventuring trail. So make sure you don't miss it. But that's next week, folks. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.